You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Good morning, and welcome to King of Kings. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you here with us today as we continue our study on the Gospel of Mark. Um, So pull up a comfy chair, grab a coffee or a tea or something that you enjoy in the morning, and uh, we're going to hop right in uh, to the Gospel of Mark. So grab your Bibles, too. Um, We've been doing this for a few weeks now, so we're on uh, chapter 6, I think, is where we're going to pick back up again. Yeah. Um, before we do, though, should we open our prayer? Absolutely. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for us. And please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and um, as we gather around your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst today um, to shine a light on uh, your will for our lives. Um, we pray that you would help each person who's joining us today or in the future to uh, hear the, the good news of Christ and Him crucified that they would know the salvation they have in Jesus, and that they would uh, be reminded of the life that they have through His resurrection. And we pray this all in His name. Amen. 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 So we've uh, watched as Jesus was thrown into ministry. Mark moves along quickly, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he's, we've talked about His authority over nature, His authority over demons, His authority as He spoke uh, to people, and people were amazed. This continues on the one hand, and yet this first uh, story that we have uh, in Mark 6 uh, talks about Jesus going to his own hometown, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't get very much honor or respect there. Get get no respect. (laughs) No respect, kind of like Rodney Dangerfield, right? (laughs) So he's an older guy, but uh, um, uh, shall we uh, jump in? uh, The first six verses, um, Mark 6, 1 through 6, I'll read that. Okay says that Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom and what has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Hmm. And, um, and so we, we keep hearing on the one hand that, that those who heard him were amazed um, at his power and authority. That's the way it starts off, and then he gets to his, his hometown. And um, uh, So what kept Jesus from doing miracles in his own hometown? Well, it, he looked around at the people who were there and uh, saw such little faith that he um, was not able to uh, help them. We remember back to the story of the woman who touched Jesus's cloak, and when she got up and tried to get away, Jesus asked who who it was that that healed her, and she came back. And he ends up saying that what made her well was her faith. And so um, Jesus here is essentially saying the same thing: what has prevented you from being made well is your lack of faith. Yeah. And so it was the the people's lack of belief in what God was doing. Um, Maybe trying to put myself into the people's spot, they would have, they would have seen Jesus grow up as mm-hmm. a boy. Um, they would have seen him work the same way that they did with his hands. He was a common laborer. Yep. Um, and so they saw him from early childhood on and uh, thinking he was just like they were. Mm-hmm. And yet we also recognize that he was very different. Um, yeah. 
as the Son of God. This, you sense this idea that familiarity breeds contempt, right? That that's yeah. a thing that can happen. It's sometimes the people who have the most hatred for people are the people that they were married to for five, six, seven, ten, twelve, twenty-five years, yeah. and when they have a, a damaged, broken relationship, that familiarity actually makes people's contempt even greater. It's not exactly the same thing here with Jesus, but the more they knew him, the less they were willing to believe in him. Yeah, I think of the sometimes we have a little little joke that we, we say when we want to bring in an expert to talk about a certain idea, we need to bring them in at least for from 50 miles away so that, uh, <laughs> yeah. so that people don't know them. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, um, and so it was interesting that there were some who were amazed at her Jesus, and at the end it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. And uh, um, it's not often that Jesus is astounded or amazed or, or perplexed, but it does show that um, this, I think this is a characteristic of his human nature. He's like, he's just frustrated with his own people. He can't believe that they would, that they wouldn't be the first ones to, to join in. Yeah, and we've, we've heard before that uh, even his family came mm-hmm. thinking that he was not all there in the mind and, yeah. and, uh, um, and so even his own family had struggle with, uh, a struggle with who he said he was. Yep. And, uh, but then Jesus continues with ministry, and he goes to send the 12 out. Shall we read the okay. next section? Yeah, well, we're moving right along. So here we go. We'll pick up at the break in the middle of verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not your extra tunic. Whatever you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached what people um, should repent, that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay, we see Jesus um, giving some of the responsibility of, of the ministry to his disciples. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so what was, what was his purpose behind that? Well, I think he's, um, he, he's utilizing this, for the very first time, this idea of Christian discipleship. And Christian discipleship is not simply sitting at the feet of the teacher, but it's also imitating the teacher. And okay. so um, he's, he's utilizing that methodology that we still use today in discipling Christians, that a big part of being a, a follower of Christ is acting like Christ. It's not just listening to his words, but it's letting those words transform you so that you imitate the love of Jesus. Now, we may not go around and drive out demons and heal the sick every single day, but we certainly can love people. We can certainly pray for people and care for people. We serve as his representative. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, um, you know, one of the things in ministry, uh, when we have the opportunity to visit the sick, it's, it's a struggle now mm-hmm. uh, with the COVID virus. But uh, um, people are um, uh, very appreciative of whether it's clergy, <coughs> clergy or others that just come to visit them. Mm-hmm. And there's a, um, there's a ministry of presence that takes place that was a big part of uh, what Christ did and what he taught his disciples and what we still do today. Yeah. And, uh, well, we, we see that uh, um, as Jesus sent them out, what were the disciples, what were they to depend on? He tells them to take certain things and leave other things behind. Um, uh, so what, what was their... Upon whom did they depend? Yeah, so he intentionally sent them out with nothing, so that way they would be dependent upon the people in the town to which they went mm-hmm. and the houses in which they were staying. And we, we still see this, I think, in a lot of uh, missionary circles and things like that. We, do, we typically don't tell people, you know, go serve in uh, a third-world country and don't take anything with you. We, we tend to say, let's raise some funds for you. But we do send these people out into these areas to preach and teach about Jesus without the comforts, a lot of the comforts of home. We, we send people into environments that they're not accustomed to, to learn 
their culture, to experience um, generosity from the people who have received them, things like that. Maybe even a word about pastors, even as pastors are sent out, they're uh, expected to be supported by the community that they're in. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that is a part of ministry. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, and it's, again, some, there can be, uh, there can be differing ideas about ministry, but um, uh, we're reminded that ministry isn't just for clergy. Mm -hmm. It's not just for called church workers, but um, uh, God sent his disciples out. He sends pastors out to equip the saints for them to do the work of ministry. And, and uh, that's still the same today. And there was also, um, uh, what if what if people didn't want to listen to the disciples? Well, that's where the, the shaking the dust off your feet. Okay, okay. what does that mean? What does well, that mean? it was a symbol, I think, in that time to say, I want nothing else to do with this place. I'm not even going to carry the dust from your town out of the okay. town with me. I'm going to leave it here where, where I found it. So it's kind of a word of judgment mm-hmm. uh, on those who didn't want to receive uh, yeah. those who were sent. I think, I don't know if Jesus says it in this version, but, um, oh yeah, it does say, as a testimony against them. You're essentially making a statement of judgment or a testimony of, of uh, accusal against these people that they would not receive the message of Jesus. Therefore, you can have the dust off of my feet back. I don't want anything to do with this, in this okay. place. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, we see even in, in the time of Christ, while he loved to speak that gospel message, there was also a, 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 a word of warning mm-hmm. for those that didn't listen to God, that didn't want uh, uh, God's presence, Christ's presence through the disciples. Yep. Um, and so he was, he was warning people even then um, uh, to be ready um, mm-hmm. because God is at work as he brings his kingdom into the world. I think always with the hope being that through that message of judgment, that symbol of that testimony, that people would realize their fault and their error. And turn from their ways and and absolutely. So when you look at the the message that the disciples were preaching when they went into these towns, it was a a preaching that people should repent. And so um, Mm -hmm. repentance was at the very core of the message that that the disciples were carrying into these towns. And if they didn't want anything to do with it, there's not much you can do. If you refuse to repent of your sins, there's yeah. not much that, 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 uh, that you can do until you take that step of repentance. Yeah. Still a message we need to hear today mm-hmm. and, and take to heart to repent from. Um, sometimes we have ideas in our mind that we've, uh, that we've got all the answers or that, <laughs> that uh, um, and, um, and we know the one who does. We, we, we find our strength and our peace and, and our wisdom in Christ and, and, um, and so we um, continue to, to live as humble people and, and uh, repent of our sins and point, point people to him. Yep. So um, from there, we hear a, a, a tragedy, a tragedy story about John the Baptist. And that begins with verse 14 here in chapter six. It says that King Herod heard about this. He heard about what Jesus was doing uh, for Jesus's name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, following, uh, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled Yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Quite a promise. Um, she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? 
the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So again, uh, um, there were some speculations that were going around uh, about uh, Jesus' identity, and, and uh, people were thinking a number of different things, weren't they? Yeah. So what were some of the things they were, they were thinking that, uh, that Jesus, who Jesus might have been? Well, they thought kind of the same things that they always thought about Jesus, that he must be some kind of Old Testament prophet reincarnated, or at this point, John the Baptist was dead, so John the Baptist raised again to life. Um, Or, you know, oftentimes they would think he's some kind of demon-possessed person or something. There's all kinds of wild speculation about Jesus, but they never went the the right way. (laughs) They never Mm -hmm. made the right step. I mean, some people made the right assumptions, and those were the ones who followed Jesus, but that, that he was the son of God. And this ties in with Mark, right? That's the, the key question that Mark is asking is, who is Jesus? He is the son of God. And um, so all these presuppositions, these, these guesses about who John is, they, all, they are all wrong. <laughs> yeah. And uh, even Herod, if Herod had a wrong idea. He thought that Jesus was John raised mm-hmm. from the dead. And, yeah. and uh, um, so it was perplexing to him. And... and uh, um, so why, why did this, why do you think it uh, disturbed Herod so much? Well, well, he was the one who had him put to death. Okay. So we don't want people, <laughs> I, you know, I can't speak from experience because probably we've never had anyone put to death before. Yeah. But, you know, there in this ancient times, kings would have to execute prisoners and lawbreakers and, you know, political, you know, opponents and things like that to maintain their authority and their power right or wrong, whatever that is, uh, wrong. But they would, uh, they would fear that idea that, that the people that they had put to death might come back and haunt them, haunt them or, in some way, yeah. or actually come back to life and, and rise up against them. So that's as far-fetched as it seems, those kinds of nightmares and those kinds of ideas probably were very common for people who were in yeah. authority. But it, but it reminds us that uh, you know, his conscience was you know, was pricked, and, and uh, he recognized that he, he had ordered something that was uh, not right, not lawful, mm-hmm. um, and, and that concerned him greatly. And um, so we, we talked about um, um, while he had John killed, it was kind of an ulterior motive that, that moved to take his life, and um, so we see that, uh, that King Herod had taken his brother's wife, mm-hmm. um, and uh, even though King Herod feared John, um, when he made an, an oath to his wife's daughter, um, um, he wanted those two people to respect him, and so he carried it out. Yeah. yeah. It just kind of shows how foolish Herod was, though, that he would promise up to half his kingdom to... <laughs> yeah. First of all, he's, he's a He's a shadow figurehead of a king anyways. The Romans are the ones who are playing him like a puppet anyways. And so promising half his kingdom is not really, I mean, he had some authority and some power and some wealth, but it was all given to him by these, you know, Roman invaders. And you see him make promises to his illegitimate stepdaughter, I guess. And it it's, it's shows how much of a, a fool he is. Yeah. And, and, uh, and also to recognize it, it must have been um, Herodias, his, mm-hmm. his now wife, uh, must have been um, uh, nursing this grudge for a long time. And mm-hmm. it, it, it shows us how far uh, hatred and envy and, and jealousy uh, can take a person yeah. to, to ask for another person's life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so. and so due to peer pressure more than anything, he yeah. has John killed. So, 
So we go from that story to another miraculous event of Jesus as he feeds the 5,000, and shall we keep going? It, once again, this chapter, it just moves so fast. So here we are again, uh, moving on from here. In uh, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So they're coming back from their, from their journey of being sent out. Um, then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leave recognized them and ran on foot from all the uh, towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. When then Jesus directed them uh, to have all the people sit down in groups on the, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. <clears throat> then he gave them excuse me, to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish and bread. The, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay, it's, uh, we see that there are times where Jesus and his disciples get tired. And so Jesus was... Uh, asking his disciples to come away to a quiet place so that they could get some rest. Mm -hmm. And even there out in the wilderness, we see that as people came to know Jesus, they began to flock to him and, and uh, uh, want to be around him, some who may have wanted to be healed, some who wanted to hear, some who may have wanted to see a miracle take mm -hmm. place. And, um, um, and yet as Jesus looked at the people, what did he see? He had compassion and pity on them, and okay. uh, well, maybe not pity, but he was—he felt in his heart the desire to serve them. I okay. might put it that way. Um, they had left their hometowns and were traveling along just to just to be a part of what Jesus was doing, and maybe get a, a glimpse of him to hear his word, maybe even to have a miracle happen. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, even though he just wants to get away from people for a little while is to recover a little bit. He sees them and, you know, any of us would be frustrated by that. It's like, I, I just want to get away. Leave me alone. But instead, Jesus looks at them with compassion in his heart. Yeah, and he uses a very familiar analogy. He said they're like sheep without a shepherd. He, he recognized they were lost. They were harassed. They were uh, in need of some kind of help. And uh, they had come to this wilderness place and they had no food. <laughs> and, uh, and so what did Jesus ask his disciples to do? Give them food yourself. Yeah, you give them some food. Yeah, I mean, and it's eight, yeah. eight months of wages. That's, you know, in today's, it's important to kind of bring those in today's numbers. You're talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to feed all the people that were there. That's quite a big bill over at the Taco Bell, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So that just shows how many people there were that they had to feed. Basically, that number was so large, it was... The disciples trying to prove to Jesus they can't be fed, send them away. Yeah. And Jesus, in the, the, in the face of that, those immeasurable odds says, I like those odds. <laughs> and yeah. he says, let's feed these people. So he gives them all the, the food. First, he gives them a challenge, goes out and find, find mm -hmm. out how much food that we, that we do have. Mm -hmm. And the disciples came back with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Yeah. And uh, Jesus says that amazing thing, we'll have the people sit down mm -hmm. and we'll divide them into groups. So they divided into groups of 50 and 100 and, and, um, and then Jesus blessed the food yep. and uh, began to distribute it. 
I think that this, these sections of verses are always good to remind ourselves about whenever we have church meetings where we talk about the budget and things like that. Is we're mm. always wondering where the money will come from and, and where the, the resources and the people will come from to get these things done that we want to get done. And Jesus, he, he may not act by taking the money in the offering plate and multiplying it a thousandfold, but what he, he will do is he will provide. And we can put our trust in him that, that he will provide for the needs of the people who are trying to advance the word of yeah. God. And so, sometimes Jesus provides just what we need, mm-hmm. and there are sometimes he provides even in abundance. Yep. And that's what we see here. Uh, because even after everyone has eaten, everyone has had their fill, uh, Jesus says, now go collect the extra food. And, yep. and they have 12 baskets full of food left over. I always kind of wondered what they did with, that, uh, with those 12 baskets. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and the, and the number 12 is quite a symbolic number, too, when absolutely. you think about it. For Jesus and for the people that were gathered there, the 12 tribes of Israel, um, were, he, he provided in such abundance so as to provide a basket for each of the tribes that, of God's people. So... It kind of shows the fullness of his abundant blessing to the people who were gathered yeah. there. There's a, there's a parallel with an Old Testament story when the children of Israel left Egypt mm-hmm. and they were out in the wilderness. Again, we find that God supplied with manna, what they with. needed, exactly what they needed. Yep. And, um, and there he supplied only what they needed. Mm-hmm. So they had enough they were to collect enough just for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here we find that, that uh, Jesus provides even in abundance. Yep. Uh, more than they need. And um, so he, can, he continues to uh, surprise and amaze uh, those who are there, um, uh, even when there were so many. Yeah. And uh, so we go on uh, again. Uh, the story of Mark keeps on moving, um, beginning in verse 45. It says, immediately, uh, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, Well, he dismissed the crowd, and after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth hour of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed again, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. That's an interesting phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there, As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. Um, They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. And... um, so again, after the disciples saw this, this miracle, um, it, it appears that they weren't ready for this next thing that Jesus um, was going to do, this next miracle. Yep. And so what does it say in verse, uh, verses 51 and 52? Um, he climbed back in the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood, they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Mm-hmm. Um, why would Jesus, why would Mark tell us this? Well, the, they had seen not only Jesus driving the demons out and healing people, and not only their own ability through Jesus to drive out demons and heal, and not only Jesus' ability to provide loaves and fishes and multiple abundance. But now they see this really weird thing, and they're, they don't know what to take. They can't process it. It's, it's, blowing, it's blowing their minds, and they can't believe. They can't find it in themselves to believe. Um, So Jesus's command to them when they see that him to take courage and not to be afraid doesn't really take hold on them. They are perhaps not afraid, but amazed, which is an equally powerful emotion (laughs) 
that can be uh, that awe can be uh, a consequence of fear, and they it says that they did not understand about the loaves, meaning they didn't understand exactly what Jesus's purpose were purposes were behind feeding the five thousand, and so because of that, their hearts were hardened to this miracle to to not having fear to not being you know shocked by it. You would think the disciples of, of anyone around would be able to not be shocked by Jesus doing something amazing, right? Because they see Jesus do amazing stuff all the time. And, but yet, he still takes them off guard. <laughs> yeah. And, and I want to bring this uh, maybe a little bit into today's application. But, uh, you know, sometimes we may think as Christians that once we come to faith, um, we're not going to have doubts or mm-hmm. we're not going to have fears um, and here we, we see the disciples who are with Jesus and, um, again, seeing those miracles happen one after the next. Um, and yet here that we find them afraid, uh, here we see that their hearts were hardened. There are times in, in our life where um, if, if, um, if we allow our heart to become hardened, it, it, it can act in unbelief and um, it can become proud and uh, we don't listen to God and his word. Yeah. And that's, um, um, so uh, on the one hand, it, it shouldn't surprise us, but it kind of does mm-hmm. because these guys have been walking with Jesus. They're around him every day, seeing the miracles that take place. Yeah. Um, but um, again, I'm reminded that sometimes uh, I've made that statement like, um, um, like we've, um, uh, another person of faith said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah. And uh, there are times where our faith is weak as well, and, and we need God to uh, strengthen us with mm-hmm. his word, his spirit, his sacraments, mm-hmm. um, um, so that we can have that trust that God desires and, and, uh, and live out the life that God desires. Yeah. And uh, All right. so we keep going keep on and going. Uh, keep going into Mark chapter 7. All right, so we'll start at verse 1, clean and unclean. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is to say, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they Observe many traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why, do, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating uh, with their hands, with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is to say a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? Into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, 
adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Okay, so we're talking about clean and unclean. And, and maybe to go back, first of all, to um, uh, Jesus talked about that sometimes the, even the religious people of his day uh, followed their own traditions mm-hmm. instead of God's word. Um, what, are, what are maybe some of the things that we uh, might follow today and, and uh, to use to replace God's word? I'm going to go back to the Pharisees. They had many traditions where in, they had like 200, do you know how many laws they had? Like 200 and some odd laws. Six, 613. 613? 613, okay. 613 laws. Well, he knows, yeah. So 613 laws. And a lot of those were just taking the commandments of God and exploding them to the nth degree. So one of the ones I'm thinking about is donations that were given to the, to the church as a tithe. They would take, they would take the, the, individual seeds of grain and they would count them out individually to make sure they were exactly 10 percent and that's what they would give to the church that's an abuse of god's god's command that we we would remember the sabbath day it would be a a breaking of the command that we give and tithe and it's a breaking of uh breaking of those commands because it's not it's totally setting aside the spirit of the command that we be cheerful givers instead it's saying God commanded 10%, so let's calculate 10% and give him what he wants. And then we can play with the rest of it. There, that's one example. There's a lot of other examples, things like how they, like this uncleanliness thing, or about food, or about other things. Yeah. Today, we do that with a lot of things because we feel like there are things which make us righteous in what we say, what we do, how we act. We have all these little, little things like uh, we should wear nice clothes to church. I think I, I like to wear nice clothes to church because it shows my honor and respect, but someone who shows up in holy ratty jeans, they might have gotten there and that was the only way they were going to get there. Praise God that they're there. Um, the way we worship, whether it be with the organ or with the piano or with a guitar, God doesn't care. God loves the heart of our worship. Um, the way we do... Uh, I was, I was going to suggest Martin Luther, he even thought in his day that uh, uh, by becoming a priest that yeah. uh, he would be closer to God by, you know, being a, a professional uh, church person. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, some people could still have that idea today that, you know, somehow they think that, that people who are pastors or other church workers are somehow closer to God. Yeah. Uh, that just happens to be the calling that God has, has given to us um, uh, one one person said, um, everybody's got their own pulpit, and so uh, whether it's a pastor, obviously we have a pulpit, but uh, parents have a pulpit in their home as they teach their children and uh, as they love and care for their neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the pulpit that God has given to them. Yep. And um, and so here we're we're talking about uh, uh, cleanness and uncleanness. And so what uncleanness what uncleanness is God concerned about? The uncleanliness from within. Okay. Uh, he, God, it's, it's the, the idea of uh, the Psalms when, when David was writing that God looks at the heart. And so he prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. Not clean hands, not clean feet, not clean head. All those things were, were ceremonially important. But the reason they were ceremonially important is because they represented the cleanliness of the heart. Not because the hands and the feet and the head actually need to be clean, but because they represented an action of, of, of uh, an outward action reflecting an inward posture of humility. Okay. So, so what kind of <clears throat> obedience does God want from his people today? That, that same um, cleanliness from within, that, that okay. uh, um, clean heart. And the only way we get that is not by manufacturing it within us, but by um, receiving the external gift of Christ to cleanse our heart. So one of the things I think is interesting in this, in this section is he brings in the, the kind of idea of food, um, that it's what, not what we eat that makes us dirty, but what comes out of us that makes us dirty. And it's mm-hmm. kind of, I, know, I think it's kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke about what comes out of us after we oh. <laughs> eat things that makes us unclean. But he, he's essentially calling these things 
Um, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, and arrogance, and folly. These evils are the nastiness that comes out of human beings. Yeah. And he's calling them filth, excrement, spiritual grossness that comes out of us. Um, but what comes into us, if we're, especially if we're people of God, what comes into us is his word, which is pure spiritual milk. It's good food for us that makes us clean inside. Yeah, I, I think of the passage from Hebrews that says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, it begins with God's work in our life to bring us to faith. Um, uh, God wants us to, to act in faith as we love him and love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's the, the cleanliness and the obedience that, um, uh, that he calls us to. And, and, and works in and through us himself as he gives us his word and spirit uh, and sacraments. So, um, again, we thank God for his work in us that we can um, uh, follow him and, and do those things that are pleasing to him. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we go on, we see another story um, uh, of a Syrophoenician woman. And uh, beginning in verse 24, we'll keep going. Uh, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as, as uh, she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out from her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And, uh, um, and so what was kind of what was going on, um, um, you know, why did Jesus, Jesus kind of gives her a harsh remark here, uh, first let the children eat all they want, uh, what was Jesus talking about? In, in well, it's, a, it's symbolic language uh, to some degree. Um, when we think about the first fruits that are given, we think, well, we first the the, in, in, in that kind of culture, the adults would eat, and then the, the children would eat, and then the crumbs falling from the table, the dogs would eat. So there's this kind of hierarchy, right? And Jesus, I think, in sort of putting her to the test a little bit, because she is a Greek woman, a Syrophoenician woman, um, and because the woman is coming to Jesus, a, a, a Jewish prophet, holy man, teacher, um, what I think what he's showcasing here is the kind of hierarchy or the order, the supposed order of blessings that God would mete out to his people. That first you would give the first fruits, the best offerings, not to lowly women, especially Greek, especially Syrophoenician women, and so, but instead to give them to God's people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And the woman says uh, something pretty wise. I think she gets, she's catching on to what Jesus is putting out there and says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, basically showcasing a faith that God will give his good gifts even to Gentiles. And so um, because of that answer, Jesus says, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. And very good point, because you have that faith that God will give good blessings even to the, the um, Gentile people. Your, your faith has made you well. <laughs> yeah. So the, I think of the Old Testament prophets, they, they, they told the, the Jewish people that the Messiah would first come for them, mm -hmm. uh, which Jesus did. He came to live in their midst and to preach the message that God's kingdom was there for them. And uh, here this woman was kind of um, intruding a little bit and, and saying, well, what about us non-Jews? Mm -hmm. And uh, again, as you said, she gave a wise reply and, and uh, 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 Jesus recognized that, uh, that wisdom and, and answered her request. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, she somehow recognized that he was good and gracious. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
Jesus was. Yeah. And so, again, a, a blessing. But again, it gives us a picture that, that God's kingdom, um, while he first came to those who were Jewish, um, God's kingdom is for all people. Yep. And, um, and um, he reminds us of that today, and we thank God for it. And, um, and then Jesus goes on to do one, yet one more miracle uh, here in, in uh, uh, this chapter of Mark, and uh, healing of a deaf and mute man. And shall okay. we continue reading? Yeah, we'll pick up at 31. So then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. They had done, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Okay, Jesus' reputation just continues to grow. Um, that becomes their confession. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at the end of this chapter, he has done, he's a man who does everything well. Uh, he even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Um, it's interesting, again, that Jesus commands uh, them, uh, this man not to say anything, mm -hmm. uh, but the more he, he makes this request, uh, it only seems to add fire or fuel to the fire, yeah. and, and uh, uh, news about him just continues to spread uh, farther and faster uh, mm -hmm. uh, as Jesus does his ministry. And um, um, anything else that you want to say about this uh, just, I Last mean, story or? I think the very beginning, once again, showcases this, this pacing that when Jesus leaves Tyre, he goes through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis. This is not like an afternoon stroll. He's moving. He's moving all the way across the northern side of, of Israel um, back to where he was used to doing his ministry. Um, and it just kind of shows that, uh, that Jesus is, maybe it's because the, the people were overwhelming and he had to stay on the move. But I think it's also, it showcases why, what's at the kind of central mentality of Jesus' message. He is here to not simply set up shop and be worshipped and adored in his time on earth. Instead, he's here to serve. And he wants to spread that service to as many people across as many cultural backgrounds as possible in this area. Yeah. So... And people continue to be amazed. I'm going to take a step back and ask a, another question that, um, uh, going back to John, okay. uh, question, what meaning uh, would the account of the death of John the Baptist have for the Christians in the first century who were experiencing that persecution from Nero? It would have uh, a, a good example of what it meant to be a, a martyr for the sake of, of Christ. Um, okay. we, look at, we look at John and realize that John was the one who God had promised uh, to be the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John was instrumental in God's plan to, to uh, tell the world about Jesus. And the early Christians in the church and Christians today have very similar callings that we are to carry the good news of Jesus as voices calling into the wilderness of this world that the Lord is here. And um, so we, we have... Ire, we, we get ire back from people around us and from society at large when we live our lives that way, the same way that John did. But yet we do so boldly knowing that even if they take our lives, they, will, they won't be able to affect us because we have, uh, we have faith in Christ. Yeah, so sometimes the, the cost of discipleship is high today as it was then. Um, we don't see as much of it, but... Uh, um, uh, one of the things that we do each Sunday is we pray for those who are uh, persecuted for their faith. And, mm -hmm. and um, if, if people are really aware, there have been more mart martyrs today uh, than there were uh, in, the, in the first century yep. uh, because people are, uh, have given up their life for the sake of Christ. And, um, but we're also reminded that God is in control. 
uh, in the midst of uh, even the most uh, deadly events, uh, the, the greatest hatred that one person might have for another, uh, that God is still in control and still guiding uh, the history of the world. Yeah. Um, and um, um, anything else? Um, that you want to talk about. No, I think we covered six and seven pretty well. And okay. we will come back next week with, uh, I believe, with chapters eight and nine. And so we hope to have you back for that. We do have a couple of announcements before we go. So um, let's see. Um, we, we are going to be moving, I think I mentioned last week, into, um, in addition to the, the video form that you can find on YouTube and Facebook, we're going to be moving into a podcast form. We know that there are a lot of people who, who put on the video and then, you know, do some house chores or, you know, they, they listen during work. And so we wanted to give people an opportunity to, um, to listen uh, on, on podcast form. So we are in the midst of doing that right now. Uh, probably tomorrow we will uh, be posting the first four episodes of this Gospel of Mark uh, on our podcast. So um, wherever you get your podcast, you can go... Uh, search for Coffee and Clergy, and you can find us. We're, uh, our logo is bright orange and has two coffee cups, and so you'll, you'll find that. Um, right now, it's available on Spotify and Google Play, and we're working on getting it up on um, Apple um, Podcasts as well. It's a little slow because of uh, they're a little overloaded with, uh, with uh, uh, COVID uh, restrictions, but it eventually it will be on Apple Podcasts as well. So you can find our episodes... Um, we, will be, we will be posting them the next day after we have a chance to edit them. So live videos will always be Wednesdays at 9.30, and then on Thursdays you can catch the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. So, Well, shall we close in prayer? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for your word and your spirit as you bring it to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as he uh, demonstrated uh, who you are in human form. We thank you for his love, his grace. We thank you for his words of warning and sternness when they were needed. Uh, and we ask that you work in our lives as well uh, to uh, stop those uh, paths when we go down the wrong path and to turn us around and to help us to walk on that path that you give us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you keep us safe this day. Help us to be mindful that we are your um, ambassadors were your representatives as we live in this world, and may we share your love and your kindness with all whom we meet. We thank you again for this time together, and we just ask you be with us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, and God's blessings on your day. Have a blessed day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.